Hello everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into EPW's Research Radio. I'm Rahul Bhise and today we'll be getting in conversation with Cynthia Stephen. Cynthia Stephen is an independent social policy researcher and analyst and independent journalist. She's also a well-known trainer on gender, policy and development issues. Her body of work includes leadership in several people's initiative for justice in large country-wide women's empowerment groups and theoretical work on women's concern from the unrecognized perspective of women and girls from the large number of marginalized sections in India. She is president of Training, Editorial and Development Service Trust and is based in Bangalore, India. This podcast is based on the article Anti-Conversion Legislation in Karnataka that was published in the EPW Journal on 15th of January 2022. Thank you so much ma'am for joining us. welcome i am happy to be here ma'am the karnataka legislative assembly recently passed the right to freedom of religion bill 2021 through a voice note amid several opposition the bill contains harsh punitive provisions as much as 10 years of imprisonment for being involved in the conversion of a woman minor or a dalit you mentioned that it goes against the article 25 of the indian constitution that refers to the freedom of conscience and free profession practice and propagation of religion can you please elaborate on how this bill is unconstitutional uh thank you for asking that question rahul uh in fact it's a uh it's a moot point overall whether the anti conversion legislation that exists in the country not only in karnataka but in eight other states is uh according to the constitution of india already the constitution has uh it doesn't give an absolute right but it uh it is subject the right uh, you know is subject to uh the freedom of religion is subject to uh or public order decency and you know uh, health so uh already there is uh, plenty of provision in the existing um Uh, you know legislation and constitution the statute and these uh, legislations uh, appear to just uh, be passed not really because there is any serious uh, need for it but because they are more of a tool to intimidate the minorities and this is not a, a question that uh, applies uh, to only one minority all minorities in india are affected by this but there are some minorities which are more affected than others namely firstly the christians and secondly the muslims and it uh, we have seen that in the past in other places the states that have had these legislations gradually we have seen that the uh, the legislations are begin are begun to be used as a tool to intimidate and therefore the intention and the motivation of passing this legislation is highly suspect in karnataka for instance the population of christians does not cross uh 2% you know over the years if you look carefully mm-hmm. it is less than uh, 1.7 it is around 1.75% what is the reason for which for a reason for passing this bill at this juncture so as i mentioned in my article the reasons reasons are not uh, you know to protect any uh, vulnerable section of the population or anything uh, 
This is basically to score a political point uh, by polarizing the uh, by the you know majoritarian uh, viewpoint uh, against the Christians and the Muslims. Mm. So this is what I would say is uh, what the motivation. Therefore, uh, it is a blatantly anti-freedom of religion bill. That's what I would say. Mm. I just like to clarify though that this Karnataka bill, anti-conversion, the so-called anti-conversion bill, it's called uh, freedom of religion bill, uh, is is only passed in the uh, lower house of the uh, assembly and is yet to be passed in the upper house after which it will pass into law after and go for presidential assent. So right now it is still in the under process. Yeah. Okay. So as we see, the intentions are questioned here and also the unconstitutional nature of this bill. Talking about yes. the Karnataka Right to Freedom of Religion Bill 2021, can you please give us a brief history about the anti-conversion laws that are there in India? Yes. See, uh, it's, it's really interesting to see when and why, where the first anti-conversion law was passed. The first law was passed in Odisha in uh, 1967. Hmm. Then it was called Orissa, of course. Hmm. Now we will call it Orissa. And uh, the, at that point, the population of Christians in Orisha was less than 1%, around 1%. And so what was the reason for this to be passed? That is one. Secondly, the next year, 1968, the uh, again the bill was passed in MP, Madhya Pradesh. That is undivided Madhya Pradesh. Hmm. And at that point, the population of Christians was like 0.05%. What was the reason, uh, what was the threat perception that caused such a uh, uh, such a decision uh, to be made to pass these legislations? Mm. Clearly, the motivations were not, uh, it was not necessitated by any large-scale uh, progress of violence. But you will see in the history... 30, 40 years down the line in the 90s, this 1967, 1968. But gradually a climate of uh, communalist, uh, communalism was uh, propagated in such a way that ultimately one of the worst ever pro pogroms, anti-Christian pogroms in the world, I can say, or definitely in India, mm. happened in the state of Orissa. Not only was uh, in nineteen uh, in the year two thousand, uh, the uh, you know the health worker, uh, Mister uh, Stains, and his two Graham Stains mm. and his two minor children were burnt to death. That mm. was the first instance, and a, and in uh, a few years later, there was a few in two thousand seven. There was some uh, anti-Christian uh, rhetoric. And in 2008, in August, there was a huge pogrom that took place, which took the lives of hundreds of people. Women were raped, a total displacement of the Christian community, which was uh, in the district of Kandamal. All planned attacks. So, the in the states where there has been this so-called freedom of religion bill, they have been also instrumental in raising the communal temperatures and creating more violence against the minorities, hmm. especially the Christians. Now, why were Orissa and MP targeted, uh, you know, they, uh, what was it about? 
So if you look at the governance deficit in the states of Orissa and Madhya Pradesh, or largely uh, government institutions for health and education were lacking and continue to be to lag hmm. in some ways in any of these areas. And so therefore, the work of the Christians has to a lot to do with uh, uh, education and health because they believe that uh, Christians believe that it is important for people's lives to change. So it is not actually a religious activity. Mm-hmm. They are doing this as a part of their service. Right. Like we know that the Jains are very famous at building charitable institutions mm. and you know uh, working for the unfortunate. Muslims are very active at the time of uh, disasters, you know, mm-hmm. they go around and raise funds for uh, food and, uh, you know, stuff like char- doing charitable activities during disasters. Uh, Christians have historically focused a lot on health and education mm-hmm. because they believe in the, what they call abundant life, that is quality, good quality life. Right. And so when they reach out, when they see a community uh, with a, where there is this deficit, with great sacrifice and effort, they put in a lot of uh, money, human resources, and so on, and set up education, you know, schools, primary schools, colleges, um, then uh, health uh, centers. Later on, they progress towards hospitals and uh, nursing training and, you know, paramedicals. So that kind of human resource building and, you know, uh, building up the social infrastructure of the society is what they focus on. Mm. And we know that, you know, it is a known fact that the best educational institutions are run by Christians for more than centuries. There are centuries old uh, Christian institutions and literally millions of people have passed through those institutions. Mm. Where is the question of any of those, the alumni of many of those, uh, any of those institutions having been converted has there been any such, uh, you know, uh, charge that children, students of colleges or schools or people who went into hospital for treatment were converted as a result of that into Christianity? Mm-hmm. So this is merely a um, kind of a whistle. It's like a dog's whistle mm. to prevent, uh, you know, real, to, to hide the access uh, that uh, these the disadvantaged communities have to basic uh, you know, uh, basics of uh, human rights mm. uh, or, uh, you know, fundamental rights as citizens, education and health, and also creating a bogey about conversions mm. and uh, questioning the motives of Christians. It is it is that. Mm-hmm. So I can see that uh, the Christian missionaries are very active, may be giving the service in the form of education, may be in the form of hospitality or medicine or such areas. But having said that, the larger uh, Hindu population or the dominant population is scared of them. And they're tagging them as they're converting other people and that skepticism is there with them. Uh, Ma'am, we can observe that this issue has come up when the Bhartiya Janta Party or BJP has come into power. And elections Mm -hmm. in Uttar Pradesh are underway as we record Mm -hmm. this. Karnataka is now coming out with daily reported incidents of attacks against Christians and now the hijab controversy is in full swing in the state. And what is your analysis of this? Why does Karnataka have a tendency towards the ascendancy of Hindutva forces 
and religious fundamentalism, which is not observable in the other South Indian states. Yes, this is a very, very, uh, very apt and important question you have raised. And in fact, there are reasons why Karnataka is, has been more uh, uh, vulnerable to the uh, impact of Hindutva. In, in the South, as you know, there are, the South consists of broadly four uh, linguistic groups, mm. Tamil, Telugu, uh, Kannada and Malayalam, which are all considered a Dravidian language as part. And, you know, the culture also is, uh, you know, considered uh, Dravidian. Mm. So if you look at the, uh, if you look at the politics of the South, uh, there, is a, there, is a, there are certain commonalities. Uh, culturally, the food, the clothing, uh, etc. Then uh, the diversity of uh, uh, lifestyles. All these continue to be uh, part of the thing. That the, but in uh, in Kerala, people speak Malayalam. Mm. In Andhra Pradesh and in uh, recently divided the undivided Andhra Pradesh and now the Telangana and Andhra Pradesh. Two, different, two types of uh, dialects of Telugu are widely spoken. Mm. And in uh, Tamil Nadu and Pondicherry, uh, Tamil is spoken. Mm. In Karnataka, Kannada is spoken. But interestingly, in numerical terms, native Kannada speakers are not a numerical majority. Mm. And it is uh, the southern part of Karnataka with Mysore, which was the kingdom and which actually borders Tamil Nadu, mm. uh, which is considered to be one of the cultural centers. Mm. The other one is in northern Karnataka, Hubli Dharma, that belt. Yeah, and uh, so there is a, if you look at the kidney, you know, the, the, uh, the state of Karnataka is shaped like a kidney bean or a rajma or like a kidney itself. Mm. And if you draw a quadrant, if you draw, you know, a a quadrant, there are four, if you, if you draw X and Y axis there, mm. you know, each corner, each quadrant is different. Mm. The the northeast uh, is influenced by the Hyderabad. It's even called officially the Hyderabad Karnataka region. Mm. Now they call it some Ishanya Karnataka or some northeast Karnataka. The, the other part is, the, the left of it is bordered, bordered borders, uh, Maharashtra and has high influence of Maharashtrian culture mm. and there's uh, you know border dispute as you know with the Belgaum and all that with Maharashtrian speaking uh, people mm. and so there's a Kannada language uh, problem with, with, between Karnataka and Maharashtra then in the south uh, the southern uh, eastern uh, western part is a coastal district and the coast alone there are four to five local languages direct spoken mm. two types of Kumbh then there is Kodava, Kodava language. Mm. These are all oral uh, uh, languages, dialects, whatever you want, native languages, primary languages, spoken by millions of people. And Kannada, a particular kind of Kannada is spoken, which is not spoken in the rest of that, mm. in the coastal. Then the southern tick, which is the standard Kannada used in the you know, literature and in the um, films and so on. Mm. So there is a lot of diversity within Karnataka, which... Uh, which which perhaps make makes it easy, uh, you know, uh, to exploit. And also mm. there is a very strong, there are two strong dominant uh, castes, the politically and economically. One is the uh, Lingayats who are strong in uh, land and mm. business and uh, also in uh, politics. 
similarly we have similar uh, social base for vokaligas but vokaligas are more in the sadagaudas more in southern part of karnataka mm. the various lingayats are distributed across the state now this and the fact is that uh, the leader of uh, bjp in karnataka and who, the one who built the party in the state mr vs edurappa being a lingayat uh, he had the advantage of uh, all the social backing the social capital that um, lingayat community gave and that is how uh, uh, you know it was easy for the bjp to get into power and if you remember also that uh, it is uh, the first time he came into power he came in as a coalition partner with uh, the uh, jds which is a vokaliga led party it is later uh, out of some sympathy that he got on full term but even that uh, was you know they had three uh, chief ministers it is not as if bjp uh, has won the hearts of karnataka hmm. or anything like that even now the present government also had to buy its way into power and later on get uh, elected some uh, fault lines have been exploited by for political gains and also the greed and venality of certain of the candidates who keep jumping ship here and there this is the uh, situation i think uh, it uh, karnataka has its own saffron uh, bastion in uh, coastal karnataka mangalore and udupi and uh, mangalore and udupi itself because of the diversity because of the cl- uh, proximity to uh, kerala there's lots of there are local uh, cultures called beri there's a beri community with its own language there are konkani uh, people so i would say that and that is why you will see love jihad charges and you know uh, policing moral policing happening in as it happens in kerala it happens even in that state so there is a lot of friction there because of the large numbers of muslims and the also the fact that there is a, a saffron bastion there is a place called kallarka there is one kallarka but uh, whose uh, kallarka is name of a place and there is one mr pat who is a uh, very prominent uh, uh, you know member of rss who is based there so there there, there has been a, it's a traditionally uh, hindu oriented place plus the people there because larger number of uh, uh uh brahmins are also there in when some sections of brahmins are there in bangalore so the diversity there are muslims in uh, christians and mm. uh you know these uh brahminical right. forces are acting there and because of that i think they tend to uh, uh what to say um uh, tend to take ascendancy there but the rest of the state you will not find that kind of presence of the uh, saffron forces but it all starts mm. there even the anti christian and anti muslim riots that took place in 2007 2008 uh, just as uh, uh, bjp came into power briefly i mean into coalition government uh, started there on nowhere else that is as soon as bjp tested some political presence power mm. though bjp was not uh, yadurappa was only deputy cm and not cm they started their violence Uh, approach uh, mm. that the bjp uses of uh, bringing up polarizing issues during the close to the elections so uh, during the earlier round of elections uh, the muzaffarpur riots took place the fulwa fulwama incident took place so i i, I would say that uh, definitely the hijab controversy uh, in karnataka uh, is the, linked to the uh, elections in up uh, because it's a very very polarizing uh, uh, mm. subject the you know there is absolutely no 
reason for such a uh, uh, such a controversy to arise and what is there are two things which uh, create, cause uh, uh, some concern one is that it only happened in the in the coastal uh, district of udupi which is a stronghold of the bjp traditionally and secondly mm. the whole thing started with a with a, in an institution which is run by managed mm. by one of the uh, owner, uh, leaders of the, uh, the leaders of that uh, institution is a uh, uh, mla ragupati bhat right and uh, so he has given statements to say that he didn't think that it will uh, escalate to this manner and all that so there is a there is a factor that uh, bjp led institutions have started this and at time did to create a mm. situation uh, and now they're playing innocent so this is the fact mm. secondly boys young boys abvp uh, students in the news minute had a, a, a investigative report uh, in which they clearly established that uh, abvp uh, students were uh, involved mm. in promoting abvp officials or uh, office bearers were involved in promoting uh, boys uh, giving them mm. shawls to wear and uh, uh, saffron helmets i mean sorry turbans uh which were part of an uh, earlier e- event that they had organized so it is definitely promoted by the bjp the controversy it was not uh, uh, a major uh, conflagration or a source of issue girls wearing hijab are seen mm. in every uh, school uh, and college uh, across the state across the country why does it have to erupt in udpi in an institution run by a bjp led uh, uh, a bjp uh, politician led institution and why does it happen to happen close to the up election there is this no doubt about the connection secondly there's also been a rise in recent years uh, in, in the past one year mm. about 40 to 50 uh, attacks on christians in their homes also took place in karnataka that is also linked to a bogi uh, you know related to the elections uh, where uh, mr bomai has taken over from uh, from ps uh, edurappa about 6 months ago and he needs to establish his saffron credentials and that is why uh, you know he, one of his cabinet ministers made a claim in the assembly that there is forcible conversion happening in his district and thousands and thousands of people in chitradurga uh, you know getting converted illegal uh, conversions forced conversions so the government ordered uh, mm. intelligence as well as police separately to go and investigate in that district plus they uh, asked mm. for uh, uh, the uh, revenue inspectors the revenue staff to go and uh, meet the people who have converted clear indications came there was there, there were a few numbers of uh, people who converted mm. in the past several years but not in the kind of numbers that this man claimed but what happened was they were all did it mm. out of their own will there was no force of conversion it's a joke a p- population uh, which is not in you know hugely in business does not a lot of money they are all service oriented they, you know these christians they all have small jobs and uh, they are not wealthy business people but they are talking about uh, using force with what force they are converting it is it is absurd and laughable so this is just merely creating a bogey to for out a non issue to to polarize 
the communal uh, situation post election so you have also mentioned in your article that bangalore being multicultural and metro city and generating monetary gains not only for the state but for the country as well and having said that such incidences are happening there so how do you see this what what kind of correlation uh, were you trying to develop there well the, the correlation is that uh, you know when there is uh, when the climate economic climate and the social climate is peaceful you can do a lot of work. there is a huge amount of migration from northern part of the northern parts of the northern and eastern parts of india into bangalore and uh, chennai because here hmm. these are the two places where uh, you know international uh, uh, companies mncs uh, set up their offices because there are uh, there is human uh, interest human resources and infrastructure is provided also by the state governments and thereby the economies uh, are booming not only the national economy but the state economies also boom as a result now if if divisive backward looking uh, you know policies are brought in uh, definitely people will think twice about uh, investing in a in an area where the climate is not peaceful hmm. it will have a direct impact on the uh incomes and livelihoods of masses of not just educated but even not so educated lower middle class working class uh people and uh, so that apart from the damage done to the uh, economy through the you know, pandemic uh, these kind of backward uh, mm. looking regressive uh, approaches in uh, public life uh, in policies and in the narrative are bound mm-hmm. to right. uh, you know make people think twice right so this this has very serious implications not only on the social fabric but also on the economy of the country at the same time and the brand that uh, bangalore has built as a global city you know as a cutting edge place for research not only in the it sector but in the biotechnology sector in the pharma sector and you know there are so many uh, uh, research and policy institutions here uh like uh, environment you know there cutting edge uh, work is done in bangalore and uh, th- that is because it has been a peaceful and you know, forward looking state but until right. we have leadership which continues that policy we can uh, we can cause serious harm to our brand in bangalore okay what we can observe is that there is a clear political polarization happening in india what kind of role conventional and social media are playing in it your article is going to get published soon under our special series that throws light on the othering of the minorities uh, that is becoming more prevalent on social media can you please talk more about this culture of polarization on social media yeah see as you i have my article is is a bit upbeat on on the role of social media in uh, giving a space for the uh, minorities the, the ones who are excluded that is true but it's also true that social media was strongly exploited by the bjp mm. both in both the elections that they fought from 2000 uh, in 2014 as well as uh, 2019 and a lot of uh, money was spent on 
uh, you know uh, troll armies mm. uh, you know and artificially inflating the um, and also um, in on buying up the media which is now everybody knows calls mainstream media as godi media because the other points of view which used to be india was one of the pride of uh, things that we used to pride ourselves in mm. is the fact that we had a free press but where the press is no longer free for two reasons one they have um uh bought a, uh, a lot of the ownership of the press has shifted due to economic policies into the hands of uh the corporate sector on the one hand and on the other hand political forces have also been very active in promoting the media so in both the general elections in uh, 2014 and 2019 maximum they exploited it the other po- political parties were slower on the drop so i would say that that is one thing that has happened but at the same time the political um, fallout apart from that the expanding uh, reach of the social media which was caused by low uh, you know internet charges uh, and the falling prices of uh, uh, handheld devices like phones uh, both that you know both that also made a big difference and i would say that uh, right now uh, twitter facebook whatsapp uh, these have become important factors instagram have become important factors in 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 the narration in the narratives that people are seeing and traditional uh, media i would say like tv as well as print has uh, sort of dented its image uh, because of the uh, uh, it is now known that these mainstream most of these mainstream out, outlets are known as godi media because they are godi because they are sitting in the lap of the government so to say whereas net domains net uh, uh, domain uh, news uh, output which may not be in print for instance uh, the wire uh, it's though it's i call the print it's, it's there's a, as far as i know they don't print anything there's that one then there is queen uh, the quint then hw news there are some news i then there's news minute these uh, uh, net uh, internet based Uh, domains which put out all their news uh, only for the net reader for the web reader but they are also now at least they have some space and some credibility which i think tv channels and others have lost out and as a result of this sort of sort of dem- in a sense democratizing of the uh, democratization of the news space uh, the op- opportunity for the marginalized voices Uh, dalits adivasis women uh, has become uh, much more so the real um, beneficiaries are the people who use from from these voices who earlier we used to when we have, we belong to a slightly older generation we used to say you must have a dalit led uh, newspaper no more we have media houses which carry the dalit uh, perspective and i think i think adivasis have also started one or two people have started a publishing adivasi publishing houses there one boy has started an adivasi news uh, uh, output thing so uh, the opportunity the uh, that the entry barrier that threshold has fallen so anyone can go on to youtube or uh, 
set up a media channel or whatever. Dalit camera is there. Dalit dastak is there. So we, we there is a diversification possible now, which is not there in the earlier section. So if a little bit of capital is available, then you will hang in there and you know build up your audience. Uh, it is possible to become an independent news uh, producer or whatever. And people like me who have not mm-hmm. done a lot of work in uh, mainstream journalism, but have mainly used alternate uh, platforms, uh, continue to have uh, you know to flourish without because we, our our livelihood is not dependent on the journalism. So we can have independent voices. Uh, and independently so i think like this there are mm-hmm. many, uh, you know uh, who are who have taken it up so so it's uh, there is much to be positive about as well as be critical of uh, developing social media so ma'am so far we have discussed topics such as karnataka's right of freedom religion bill 2021 the atrocities over christian community history of anti conversion laws the unrest in the karnataka state and communal attacks on minorities are destroying the secular nature of indian republic and what is the role of media in the entire process i strongly recommend reading the entire article by cynthia stephen as it gives important information about the issue of conversion history of anti conversion atrocities and political behavior against the minorities during the election period the article also points out that the recent right to freedom of religion bill 2021 passed in the karnataka legislative assembly is a diabolical move by the government to provide legal cover to the majoritarian fundamentalist operation against the minorities i have shared the link to the article in the description of the podcast thank you so much for your time and patience for tuning into the podcast i hope you like the discussion do let us know what you feel about discussion on our social media platforms such as facebook twitter and instagram before leaving i would like to thank cynthia stephen ma'am thank you so much thank you i enjoyed being here thank you so much for your time and patience and for tuning into the podcast i hope you like our discussion do let us know what you feel about it on our social media platforms such as facebook twitter and instagram i'm rahul bhise and i'll see you in the next episode of epw's research radio